Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer, Susan Slusser, and today, Tanner Roark stops by to talk to us about joining the A's before the trade deadline. The A's new starter will also tell us about his journey from independent ball all the way to the big leagues, plus his love of bourbon. Then David Feldman stops by and we talk about home runs, the A's huge barrage and all of them around the major leagues, and bullpens and what might be going on with the A's upcoming pitching plans. All of that next on A's Plus. Today on A's Plus, we welcome in new A's starter Tanner Roark. Tanner, first of all, um, how do you feel like things are going for you since you've come over from the Reds and the, the trade before the deadline? Uh, obviously, you've been traded before, but coming to a team that's in, in contention at the deadline, I think there's always a little sort of extra for a player, right? For sure. The, you know, I felt like pitched okay so far. Um, I'm happy with my with my last outing. Just you know, two pitches really that that got me, and you know, Lopez shut us down. So. Um, you know, I feel very, very excited to come over here and knowing that they're, that we're in playoff contention, um, you know, and I'm just going to, and every game really matters now. So um, we need to keep that same intensity going and, you know, just knowing these guys, that's how they are and getting to know them even better now. It's, it's cool to, to see what they're, what they're all about. And, uh, it's fun to be a part of it. Yeah, how, how are you kind of feeling like you're fitting into the clubhouse? Obviously, you knew a few guys, Blake Trinan most obviously from the from the Nationals, but uh, the pitching staff, especially the rotation, you guys all sort of you're all sort of experienced veterans, and you're all pitching well. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's an easy group to get to get used to because I'm sort of like I'm the same way like a lot of these guys are, you know, like to mess around, have fun. Um, and you know joke with each other and rag on each other just it's fun and you know dish it and take it at the same time so so it's good it keeps it keeps us loose and keeps it fun in the clubhouse that's perfect now you have a little bit of an unusual path to the big leagues um you know a lot of guys come in and they're high draft picks or like well-known college players or etc um you start off at illinois and then you left during your junior year is that right Um, and then you went to indie ball. How did that come about, and and what was that like for you? Well, I was uh, I was on academic probation at, at University of Illinois, and you know I just wanted to to play baseball. And <laughs> I mean that was pretty selfish of me at the time. And you know I let a, let a lot of my teammates down, which I hate doing. But uh, you know, so I got dismissed from there, and then go play indie ball. I didn't know what I was going to be doing for the, I don't know, for those like, let me see, six months or so. Didn't know what I was going to be doing. Didn't have any clue about baseball or anything like that. And then I get a call out of the blue um, and to come play down to Southern Illinois Miners. And uh, Mike Pinto is his name. And, you know, he, he called me. He's like, hey, I'd like to come down and have you come down here and, and play with us until it's time for drafts. And I was like, for sure. <laughs> Then did it and got, I had like a 21 ERA or something like that. So did yeah. Did you really? Yes, yes. What so. was that? I mean, it's people think of indie ball as the leagues as being maybe, a, you know, 
not quite as as strong as cer certainly minor leagues but that was not your experience or was it just you hadn't pitched in a while yeah i haven't pitched in a while and no there was a, there was a lot of good guys like that never got an opportunity to sign with another team that were still really good but i mean i was not good i was, <laughs> I, was I was giving up homers left and right so um you know i'd Luckily, the the Texas Rangers took a chance on me and got drafted out of there, and you know, just been grinding and and uh, learning about myself and learning about this game and uh, remembering that to stay humble and not uh, think that you're bigger than the game and respect the game. You've uh, you're a four pitch guy. You've got four very good big league pitches. Have you always been that, or did you? Did you pick something up along the, the way? What, did somebody really help you kind of hone your pitch selection? Uh, I, I would always I always ask, you know, people with, with good stuff, with good off speed, with good fastballs, how they hold certain pitches or what they think in their head, you know, because everybody's unique in their own way of what they, what they think about. And even if they think of something totally different of what I think it, it works for them and you know so I just try to pick everybody's brain because like I said I'm constantly learning and nowadays with all the information out there on everybody and you know you got to adapt so uh, that's what I think has kept me in the game so long uh, just adapting and, and learning about myself was there anybody in particular who is really helpful with with some of the pitches in particular, or whose whose stuff you really liked, and maybe you picked their brain and and uh, you know tried to do some things like they did? There wasn't any, not not anybody in particular. Um, you know, I was I was told to switch my arm angle up, try to go sidearm, and I tried it and didn't like it, and then I just got I got mad. <laughs> And so, yes, I, I you know, that's, that's just how I am. And I got mad. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw a two-seamer and, you know, try to make it nasty. And, and I started doing that, and I started having success and started moving up. And, you know, and like I said, the information is out there. There's, I had to switch, switch back to a four-seamer, too. You know, keep them honest, because if they see something coming at their for a lefty coming at their hip, they're gonna know it's coming back. So if I throw a four seamer at your hip, and if you swing, then okay. But you know, you just um, I don't know. Just you have to keep adapting and keep learning. And some guys are are stubborn and don't want to do that, and they're sitting at home. Did you always have the good sink? Uh, no, I. I it was definitely a, like I had to work on it big time just to get it exactly where I wanted to pinpoint it because um, you don't want something where you have them, where you have them, a strikeout pitch with with two strikes on them and you throw it starting on the inside corner and runs back over the middle and then it gets hit yeah you want to, you want it to you know it took a lot of practice and uh, you know, preparation. When you were with the Nationals, did you pick Blake Trinan's, uh, you know, kind of brain a little bit about his two-seamer and, and sort of the sink? Because you know, I'm sure you know, last year, oh, yeah. the, the action he was getting on it was yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I 
asked him how he throws it and what he thinks, and I think he's just unique in that regard. Of he's tall with a short stride, and he throws. I, I refuse to play catch with him anymore because he throws bowling balls, and I don't want to break my glove and <laughs> or my kneecap. So, <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's very very unique in that sense, and you know, I'm hopeful that he'll. He'll get back to what he was doing last year and, and trust it. Now, you mentioned the data and the analytics. How closely do you look at stuff like that? Um, or you do, do teams kind of, especially when you come to a new team, do they suggest maybe different things that you might work, you know, like pitch sequencing or usage, things like that, based on the analytics? Yeah, there's definitely, definitely things I, I look at, but I don't want to overanalyze it because I tend to when I overanalyze it, overthink things, that's what you do. You overthink things and it ends up hurting you more than it helps you. So I like to know, you know, where, if they're hot, um, if, they're, if they're swinging the bat good right now, I like to know that. I like to know their, their, their zones, their hot and cold zones. Um, and I want to know what they struggle with. So if there's a tight situation that I get myself into a jam, I, I know if I execute this pitch, then I'll have greater success. Um, have, have you noticed much of a difference with the ball this year? I mean, it, some of the guys that throw sinkers think maybe the ball's with the seams or a little bit like the, you know, they're they're getting some different things with, with the, that pitch than maybe previous years. I mean, I definitely think there's, I mean, MLB has come out and said that they're, they've changed it before and, you know, who knows if they've changed it again. I'm sure they keep experimenting with things with the balls, which is, I don't know, kind of odd. They want to see more production out of out of the hitters. And what was a couple, what, two years ago, there was the most strikeouts and less home runs, and now it's the opposite. So there's something up. That's weird. If you want pace of play also factored in, I'm not sure that increasing home runs and offense is the way to go, but whatever, I guess. Oh, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I just, You're like, don't put me in the yeah, yes. <laughs> I knew. I knew. Uh, stay out of I'll it. stay out of it. Yeah. Yes. Um, anything Ace fans should know about you? Um, things that you like to do in your spare time? You have hobbies, interests. I know you have two little boys. I got, no, I have two, two girls two and girls. a boy. And a yeah, boy. Yes. Yeah, I have uh, Madison. Is, she'll, she'll be 10. Um, she's in fourth grade. Just started school today. So, oh, nice. Yes, yeah, she's very excited. Fourth grade. Can't believe it. Um, then I got a four-year-old. Her name's Kennedy, and then I have a boy. He's a, he'll be one years old on in September. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, his name's Brooks. Awesome. Yeah, and they're uh, yeah they're back home. I miss them. I haven't seen them. Oh, well, I got to see them in Chicago, which was nice. But Mama's at home right now, uh, attending the three kids. So, yes, yeah, yes. She's like, uh, yeah. get back. She's back a trooper. Soon. She's yeah. a trooper. She knows. She knows how to handle them, and, and uh, for the most part, keep them in line. Anything else? Do you any hobbies? Do you oh, play? Yeah. What um, do you do? Um, video games, movies, TV shows, bourbon. Bourbon. Yeah, That's yeah. a very good, yeah. good one. Yes. I yeah. love. Anything in particular? Any particular uh, affiliation brands? No, all of it. All of it. I love. Uh, you know the unique stuff which tend to be more expensive but with a, a better better taste 
you know, flavor. I, lo I love the. Um, you know, you're do, in wine country now. Oh yeah, I do. I do. I do know that. There's a couple. There's a. I. There's a couple uh, bottles of wine that I know about that I'll, I'll be looking out for. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Oh, That's for good. sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I think you're going to fit in very well yeah. here in the Bay Area, then for sure. Um, Tanner Roark, thanks so much for joining us here on A's Plus. I know you got to go stretch, but we appreciate your time. Thank you, Happy. Our thanks again to Tanner Roark for joining us on A's Plus. We will be back in just a moment with David Feldman and Feldy's Follies. David Feldman rejoins us for Feldy's Follies on A's Plus. David, we have some interesting things to talk about. Uh, the A's finally win a game against the Astros. They're two and nine going into the first game of this four game series. Uh, and then the teams combined to hit 10 home runs. Uh, that was crazy. What, what are, you've seen a, a million games of the Coliseum. What, what are your thoughts on, on this? Is the way the baseball is going, I guess, but 10 home runs in a game? Yeah, exactly. This is 2019 baseball uh, at its finest. Um, 15 hits total in the game, 10 of them home runs. <laughs> it's, to me, and it really reminded me of slow pitch softball, right? Because if you go and watch the slow pitch softball game, that's what it is. It's either outs or homers. There's, there's not a lot else. And, and the thing of it to me that always made baseball such the great sport is if you compare it to fast pitch softball, especially on, you know, women's collegiate fast pitch softball, um, it's very much a pitching dominated sport. Um, a little less than it has been now, but still it was always a low scoring game. And then slow pitch softball was always just these high scoring, crazy home run affairs and baseball it just had the perfect balance of offense and pitching. Right. And this year, more than any other year, it's changed into this just home run barrage. And we've seen years where the ball's gone crazy. 1987 comes to mind. McGuire's rookie year, the ball was flying out. Brady Anderson's hitting 50 home runs. Um, but we haven't seen this across the board like we're seeing this year with so many guys with 20 home runs. 20 home runs doesn't mean anything anymore oh it really it, doesn't it's, it's like oh well that's a maybe a middle infielder yeah um i don't think i don't think that's so good for the game because i don't think the games are that much fun there's not much strategy and drama involved it's just guys at the plate just trying to wail on the ball right. and yeah it's fun to watch the ball fly but like a game like last you're just like this is crazy yeah but like who's gonna hit the last home run and oh the team that hit the last home run won yeah so it was fun for a night, and I'd like to see it get back to normal, but it's not the way baseball is this year. It's just it's just home run derby every night. You watch, you know, quick pitch on MLB Network, and every highlight's just a bomb. Yeah, and it gets old. It does get old, and you're starting to see balls, uh, you know, oppo home runs are a normal thing. That used to be so tough to hit a ball the opposite way out. Um, and even take a look at, like, Matt Olson's home run yesterday, his first one, he went oppo. That ball shouldn't be getting out, yeah. and it's getting out. Well, how much last night was the weather a factor? Mike Fires was very clear last night in saying he didn't think any of them were cheap. He wasn't going to use the weather as an excuse. We know that on warm nights, especially a warm, still night like last night, the ball does carry a ton at the Coliseum, but he was not willing to use that at all as an excuse, and he made some good pitches. You know, Carlos Correa, to me, homered on a pitch that, that – uh, 
is usually pretty tough too, a high high fastball, kind of up around his eyes. Yeah, that's the ball that Reggie Jackson used to always call fence high. And what he meant by that is if you put a swing on it and hit it, the ball is already so high in the zone that it's going out <laughs> if you hit it hard. And that's what that was with Correa's fence high. Yeah, I thought most of the balls last night, uh, they were tagged because we see the ball fly anyway. But on a night at the Coliseum where there's no resistance, right, there's no marine layer, there's no wetness or damp, damp uh, moisture in the air, uh, balls are just going to go. Corbin Joseph's home run. Uh, he hit it well to center field. But you don't see that on a foggy night. That ball's not going to get out. Yeah. Um, but that ball got out. And, it, yeah, it played a, pa- a part into it, the heat. There were also balls that were just hammered. You know, <laughs> Gregman's first home run, this line shot that's just a rocket. Uh, it's the ball. It's definitely the ball, Susan. Yeah, it's, it's the ball. You know, well, I, on the first interview in this podcast, Tanner Ro- Roark and I discussed the ball. And, yeah, I mean, the, the pitchers know it. Yeah. So you're dealing with uh, a ball that is tighter with a tighter pill. You're also dealing with guys who are a lot stronger. You're dealing with bats who are made better. And you're dealing with velocity all the time. So all this stuff put together, and it's home run derby every night. Yeah. And on a night like last night, you've got to think every hitter is just like, get me to the bat bat rack. They're racing to the bat rack. And the pitchers, I mean, once you could tell once the bullpen started coming in, those guys were like, oh, I really do not want to be out here right now. I mean, that's just, it's just a rough night to pitch. It is. There's there's no doubt about it. You know, and I thought, you know, the home run that Trinan gave up, I didn't think the pitch was that bad. Oh, it was not Uh, a bad pitch. Low slider? I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was an awesome swing by Brantley. That's just how good Brantley, that hole was bad. He was just not going to swing and miss. He was fouling off everything. And I just thought, wow, that's just professional hitting right there. That was awesome to yeah. watch. And I, I don't blame trying to throw that at all. Yeah, exactly. That was just that was a good piece of hitting. Now, uh, Matt Chapman with back-to-back two homer games. Is he back? Was it some of it the weather? Um, is, has, he, he had been having better at-bats. Now he's starting to put balls in play hard and barrel things up. Is he back? Was it, is it the hair? Is it the shaved head? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the shaved head, no doubt. <laughs> He's a little um, lighter. It makes the swing harder somehow. Yeah. I just remember when we talked a couple weeks ago about Chapman's struggles, we were saying that he was still swinging good pitches. Yeah. He wasn't making contact. He wasn't chasing. So now he's getting back to making contact. Um, so I do. I think this is more the Matt Chapman that we saw for the most part of this year where he's and he's really a tough at bat in close games. I mean, you have 15 go-ahead home runs. That's a ridiculous number. Um, and that's just concentration and, and, and getting a good pitch to hit. And he's, we're seeing that. We're also seeing him take balls the opposite way a little bit more recently, singling to, to right field and up the middle. Um, so I'm, I'm really encouraged by this. I think he can get a really hot Matt Chapman here for the last 41 games. Uh, that's going to go a long way to the A's winning baseball game. The A's need it because Chris Davis still is not providing the power. We keep, you know, last night you got to think, you know, and he hit a couple ball. he hit a, hit a ball to the warning track. If he's himself, he hits at least two on a night like that. So continues to be a worry. Now, you mentioned Corbin Joseph. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the A's making that move? He's a guy who is not on the 40-man. He's a 30-year-old guy who spent essentially 12, the last 12 years in the minors. Um, to do that, to, to bring him up and play him, essentially it's going to be all full-time because it's going to be against right-handed pitchers. 
uh, over a guy who was in a fairly high-profile trade and who certainly has been a very high-profile player at times in his career. Um, what do you think? That, I mean, the A's just, I think they finally just had enough of, of jerks and Profar, and Profar was told that, essentially. I think it's, it's a brave move and the right move. Uh, you don't see a team give up on guys very often, um, especially, like you said, high-profile guys. And he's you still only 26. That's the thing. You look at it and you go, 26? Yeah. Um, so for them to make that move, pull the trigger and say, here's a guy we had at AAA who for four months did nothing but rake. Um, we think we can bring up a hot hitter uh, and, and plug him in, and he's going to get the job done. Um, and it was nice to see him get the hit in San Francisco and also the sack fly. Yeah. I don't know the sack fly was huge. Yeah. Um, you know, these are the, the runs that we've always talked about. You have to score, run on third, less than two out. Those are the winning runs. Those are the runs that wins games. And he did that. Um, and then to come up with a home run last night and another hit, it's nice to see an ace player who was hot come up to the big leagues and hopefully remain hot so many times. Have the A's brought up guys who are just, you know, on these hot streaks in, in AAA and they come up and they go over. Um, and you can watch players on other teams come up and go four for five in their first game. Well, remember last year, that's what they did so well, you know, particularly in the second half. Martini comes up and makes a huge difference. Ramon Laureano. Um, yeah. Now, those are obviously different players. Well, Martini's kind of more in the Corbin Joseph mold because an older uh, minor league free agent type guy, obviously. Joseph's taken in a minor league rule five draft, but, you know, at 30 years old, fairly unusual. But, yeah, to me, the main difference... I love him chipping in offensively. Great, he gets his first major league homer out of the out of the way in his second game with the A's, uh, and fun, how fun for him, you know, after all that time in the minors. But yeah. defensively, Jerk, we've talked about this somebody, this before. Jerkson Profar was just still not, you know, he, he was getting better with the throwing, but he was potentially a liability late in a big game, uh, and with a team in a pennant race. Uh, you know, a throw, especially the Coliseum, into foul territory at the wrong time, that could easily cost you a game. And and Corbin Joseph's just, you know, is a solid second baseman. And that's all the A's really yeah. need right now. Yeah, I agree with you with, with Zerks. And I thought his throwing had kind of been okay. And then in Chicago, there were a couple of throws. You went, oh, my God. Yeah, it's just painful. Um, yeah. It was. And and you can't, you can't risk that in these games that are coming up. Um, Every game going down the stretch, you, you need to win, and you can't have mistakes on routine plays. It's just it's too much of a liability out there. And hopefully for, for Jerickson, who's, uh, you know, his average hitting against left-handers has been much higher uh, than hitting against right-handers. All, all his power has come against the right-handers. But if he gets his chance in there and can get a couple hits and, and help the A's that way, I think he's he's capable of doing that. Yeah. Um, but for now, it's it's – Corbin Josephs, and let's go. Let's see what you got. Yeah, and it has not been for lack of effort with Profar. Sometimes I think the, these things, especially when it's something like a throwing issue, it can almost be the opposite. Working too hard really, sure. you know, starts to get in your head, and you start listening to so many different people and trying so many. You know, you could see him thinking. It was when he had more time to throw the ball. You can see the, right. the wheels kind of churning, like, uh, what, what, what am I supposed to do mechanically here? Uh, and that's a bad thing. What I really liked when I talked to him the other day, 
about the fact that the team has told him he'll have a reduced role as he automatically said you know what that's the right move I am not contributing I should be I know I can contribute more I haven't been that's on me I'm going to work hard and when I get my opportunity I really hope that I can help this team and you probably noticed this he was the very first person off the bench and at the top of the dugout to welcome Corbin Joseph back after he hit that home run, which I just love to see. And he was like that with Barreto, too. When Barreto came up and kind of took over at second base for a while, Profar was his biggest fan, his biggest ally. Uh, And that tells you a little bit something. This is a guy that has been sort of in the doghouse all year, really, you know, with with the team and with fans. And and he's handled himself so well. He's really a likable guy, and he's worked so hard. I wish everybody could kind of see that. Yeah, I think you got to appreciate somebody, a player, who takes ownership, right? And he takes ownership of that. I'm not, I'm not doing enough to play, um, and I'm going to work harder to try and get back. It's just, it's, it tells you what kind of person he is. Um, and again, I've been rooting for him all year, and you hope to see a guy like that succeed. And uh, you know, next year is another story. The A's have to decide how does he fit into plans in 2020. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting decision because they'll have Mateo. Barreto and Profar, all guys without any more options. Um, my guess is they try to move Profar maybe as a second piece in a, in a deal at some point. Maybe he has some value left given his age. He'll be 27. Uh, people remember the early promise that he had as one of baseball's top prospects, but I got to think the yips are going to scare pretty much any team unless they want to try him at first base or something like that. I, uh, I don't know what you do with him. He's not a DH, so... No. Uh, that will be interesting. Um, now, uh, you probably saw I had an interesting little story the other day about Marcus Simeon. He's changed agents. He is going into his final year next year before free agency. Doesn't always mean a guy's going to be a free agent. A team can give a, a guy a qualifying offer. Uh, that's potentially possible uh, in, in this case. But, you know, it, clearly by going to Joel Wolf. Uh, at the Wasserman Group. Marcus Semyon is looking at that. Is he going to try to sign an extension or is he going to go the free agent market? And, um, you know, this is one of the premier agencies out there. And Simeon says all the things, you know, he's from the Bay Area. He's from El Cerrito. He went to Cal. He and his wife live here full time, one of the few A's that lives here full time. He'd love to stay here. But the A's are looking at, it reminds me a little bit of the Tejada Chavez uh, era where they, they felt like they had to choose one. These days, when you're talking about an elite-level shortstop, you're talking about probably a deal in the $100 million range. How are you going to do that and sign up Matt Chapman to a long-term deal when that's probably going to be like 150 realistically? Uh, $250 million to two players is just something the A's aren't going to do. And uh, those are rough figures. You know, I could be... 10 to $20 million off one way or the other, <laughs> it's still going to be way more than the, we've ever seen the A's do anything with. So uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. You've obviously watched this team for a long time. We know that Eric Chavez is the last guy to get a significant extension when he got the six years, 66. That was way back 15 years ago. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Marcus Simeon, uh, you know, the end of the 2020 season, he'll be 30 years old. Um, so not not that old, but teams are very weary of 30-year-old players now. We're seeing it more and more. Um, so how many years are you going to give to a shortstop who's 30 years old? And, and what's the market for that? So that's where I think Simeon, he might not be up for that long 
term payday, more of a short range thing. Cause I just don't, the way GMs work now and especially around baseball, um, they're afraid of the 30 year old player. Yeah. Um, they're afraid of committing to the 30 year old player. So that might work in the A's favor. Um, to being able to go to a, a three-year type deal for for Marcus oh. Simeon. If I'm an agent, I don't do that now, you know, because then he's coming out on the market again when he's 33 and he's got no shot. Right. Uh, and so this is this, have... he is now an elite level all-around shortstop, and there aren't that many of those. You look around at the contracts some of those guys have signed. You know, you're looking minimum sort of 80 million kind of deal, and I, I just don't see Simeon or his agent again one of the better agents in the game now. Um, leaving that kind of money on the table and the security that comes with it. Uh, and teams are going to look at the fact that he plays every day. You know, he might be coming up on 30, but he plays almost every inning and he plays every single day. That's going to go... The durability factor is becoming huge in baseball because teams know the amount of money they have on their ILs every year. Yeah, I mean... I'm, if I'm the A's, though, and if another team wants to give Marcus Simeon that many years and that much money, I might say goodbye. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be stuck with, you know, paying for a guy. The A's especially can't afford it. Um, so you say Chapman over point. Simeon. So it's, it's they're going third base instead of shortstop again. Yeah. and But, you know, the other time I said they should go to Hata over Chavez, so I, I get credit for that one. Yeah. But uh, I just think – it's just hard. It's just hard to. It's hard to give a lot of years. Now, here's the the other thing in this whole mess. Let's say at the end of this season, uh, the new stadium becomes a go. They know they're going to be starting. They're going to actually put a shovel in the ground and build a stadium. Does that change the economics for the A's? That's a. I mean, they have said that it would. Uh, I. You know. We have we've waited so long for a couple long-term extensions. I'm skeptical. I'll believe it when I see it. But yes, they have said theoretically, <laughs> a shovel in the ground changes everything. So, uh, you know, I, A's fans should have their fingers crossed for any m- number of reasons for a new facility. They certainly need one. But that's that's among the top ones. Is they've said they will start up in the payroll when they know that they've they've got that on the horizon. That They're not at that point, you know? They're no. still jumping through hoops with regulations. Uh, there's no even deal to purchase any land. Um, you know, they'd agreed with the county to buy the county's half of the Coliseum area, and the city's kind of trying to squash that. So they don't have right. Howard Terminal. They don't have the Coliseum. Uh, it's... Uh, it's all still really up in the air. Uh, they're, the A's are trying everything possible. This is, again, not a lack of effort thing. They're trying a two-pronged approach, which I think is, you know, that's smart. But, the you know, there's a long way to go on either end of those prongs. And that plays a big part in, in their future money. Um, they don't have the big TV deal that a lot of teams have. And that's where most of the money now these teams not so much in the stadium revenue but the tv revenue yeah. i'm talking billions of dollars that are being brought in from some teams and the a's don't have that cushion so they have to be smart with this um i would say you know if you could get simeon at the end of this year right you buy out his last year of arbitration next year and try and get three more years try and get four-year deal with him at 80 90 million dollars see if you can get him to bite on that I think I think you can be willing to take that risk. Yeah. I don't um, I don't see him signing for less than five, and I think he'd probably be looking for six or seven. Just looking around at some of the other 
the other guys out there. But yeah, you're right. If he decides to do the home, if the value is that he wants to stay in the barrier, he loves the team. He loves the guys. He loves the direction, loves Bob Melvin, et cetera. The things we, we do here when guys do sign extensions typically. Um, yeah, that will be the decision. I don't think anybody would, uh, fault him for pursuing no. greener pastures. If the A's aren't coming up to his market value and, and, uh, it's going to be really interesting. I do hear behind the scenes that the A's are, uh, considering strongly giving Chapman an extension. That's more than Chavez as they would have to. I mean, yeah. Scott Boris is his agent. You got to think Boris is talking about a 10 year extension and maybe might consider something like eight, but I cannot see anything less than that. I really can't knowing Boris and his track record and looking at some of the other contracts of the, the truly elite, you know, MVP potential kind of players, um, which, which really Chapman is. So that will be fascinating. Um, now the A's have some interesting decisions potentially coming up here with the, the pitching, uh, at Las Vegas, some of the guys coming back from injuries, um, some other faces, um, uh, obviously that we've talked a lot about Puck and Lazardo. I, I, it, all signs point to Puck being in the A's bullpen very soon. Uh, if he continues to pitch well, if he continues to have good health, I think he might be a better option right now than some of the other guys they have. I think that's kind of a no brainer and that should happen here soon. Jesus Lazardo is a little bit of a different category as really are Sean Manaya. Uh, and I, I'm not sure that Marco Estrada is even a consideration at this point. I think he probably gets DFA'd when he's when he comes off the IL. I don't know what uh, he would have to offer unless somehow he looks lights out. I think the back still bothers him. But the interesting ones are Lazardo and Manaya. Lazardo, obviously, like Puck, has not pitched in the big leagues before. It's a pennant race. The A's have said they would like to keep him starting. Indications are from the minor leagues where he has been starting that that would be the case. Where does he fit in? Is that too much in a pennant race? You know, could he be a spot starter? Is this just maybe a September consideration, which would probably make more sense, a little bit less pressure, maybe work him in some, somewhere if they really want to. I'm not sure necessarily that they're going to do that. I mean, that's going to be a tricky, tricky decision if there is good performance elsewhere in the rotation. And the even trickier one is Sean Manaya because Manaya's results have been erratic. His velocity has not been what it was. He's He's been better. He's getting up around the 100 pitch mark. Theoretically, you would go, hey, the guy threw a no-hitter last year. He was the ace of your staff. He's up to 100 pitches. He's back, right? I don't know if that's the case. Uh, you know, Homer Bailey has been good in big parks, not so good in smaller <laughs> parks. Uh, you know, potentially in September, when you've got the expanded roster, you could try to do something like the A's did essentially with Trevor Cahill at one point last year and try to angle all of Bailey's starts for, for home starts and maybe throw in somebody like a Manaya or Lazardo to make a start here or there on the road. I don't know how practical that is or, you know, whatever. He's an opener. I think that's kind of gone away for a while now. But wh- how do you see this? Because these are so, especially with Lazardo and Manaya, I've got to say, I really don't know what they're going to do. They just have not sounded completely sold on Manaya yet. Uh, and Lazardo's really a wild card. It is. It's an interesting situation. And the thing that makes it probably a good thing is that the starters they have in the rotation now are doing pretty well. So you're not feeling that need that we need to bring this guy up and he needs to be pitching right now. As, as of right now, they're not feeling that. Um, the biggest upset of this entire season for me is that Brett Anderson has not missed a start. Yeah. That is incre- – and, and as well as he's pitched, 
right? And he hasn't missed a start. And getting hits uh, and he hasn't missed a start. <laughs> yeah. He has four uh, hits know, make, and he didn't get hurt running the bases. He's made defensive plays where he's twirling around and throwing guys on the first. So, for right now, you're kind of in a holding pattern with this rotation, right? Because Bassett's pitching well, Fires obviously. Fires could have, think about it, the last night was the seventh time he's left with the lead. That the bullpen has lost that, yeah. right? So that's and he's also the right now the pitcher to record in the in the Detroit suspended game. So that's eight possible. He could be a nineteen game winner right now. That's crazy to me. The crazy thing was before last night in nineteen consecutive starts he'd lowered his ERA. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Right. You know how hard that is to do nineteen starts in a row. Nineteen. The guy's 19. having an extraordinary year, and yeah, Brett Anderson yeah. is. Pretty uh, Teflon at this point. He's he's been great. Bassett's pitched so well. He's been so solid, giving them so much. Uh, obviously, Tanner Roark has been excellent in his first two starts. Bailey's probably the the weakest link there. But man, he's I mean he's coming off a seven scoreless and allowing two hits against the yeah okay it was the Giants and in a big park. But that's not a guy who's going to come out of the rotation right away. You know, no. He would he would have to fall on his face. And um, you know, Manaya needs to. Be lights out. Lazardo needs to be lights out. Lazardo was not lights out uh, in his most recent start uh, at Vegas, and Manaya has been up and down. It has to be consistent. This is a team in a pennant race. Now, if the A's weren't in the pennant race, if the A's were the Royals and they had their A's from last year coming back, he'd go into the rotation. They'd figure out how. They would, you know, they'd probably let right. somebody go or try to move somebody or something. But uh, the, the A's are in a pennant race. They have to win games. They're going to go with the starters they feel like are going to give them the best chance to win. Uh, it could be Manaya soon, depending on how he's pitching and depending on how Bailey or Bassett or somebody like that is is also pitching. But I, I'm just not I'm not sure which way they go right now. No, I can see Tanner Roark. He's pretty much a five inning guy. He has been for the last couple of years, um, which means those are the days you need your bullpen. Yeah. Um, and the bullpen right now, even though you have eight pitchers down there. There's not a lot of trust in four of them. Oof, that's for sure. Um, and so that's an issue. So I could see if, let's say, you know, we talk about bringing Puck up, and that's where Puck can come in because Puck could be a multiple-inning guy, um, at least a two-inning guy in that situation, which would be a nice little tag team. But Manaya could also be a tag team guy with Roark if he's pitching well. Yeah. And this is this is more of a September conversation because uh, right. you need the roster room to do this. Um but I think that's a way they can go about it. But hey, if your bullpen is underperforming, you know, move a, a Wong out. Move, you know, yeah. there are a couple of guys you could move out pretty easily if you're talking about doing it without an expanded roster. And if you want to, say, not expose Homer Bailey maybe as much on the road, you have sort of Manias like a swing guy. Maybe a start here, yeah. maybe a kind of a middle relief there. It would be yeah, weird. You can definitely – you can massage it, though. Yeah. Um, there are some off days coming up as well. Yeah, I think right now, Wong, unfortunately, is just an empty spot in the bullpen. Um, so when Puck's ready, you would see him flipping in there. But, you know, you're not pitching Trevino. You're trying to stay away from Bookter. Um, Soria's been stumbling lately. I mean, really, you're right. Petit. There's Right now, it's kind of been Petit and Hendricks. It's Petit and Hendricks and, and Deepin who's pitching every day. Yeah. And Petit, the issue with Petit for me is when he pitches on back-to-back days. Yeah. That second day, his numbers just explode offensively. Yeah. Guys Absolutely. get home runs, guys get base hits. So you need to be, have a way to spread him out. Soria, um, yeah, when he has a bad outing, it's horrendous. Right. And he's had a few of those now. 
Uh, otherwise, it's actually been pretty good. Yeah. But boy, those bad outings are just terrible, and you yeah. can't trust. When are they going to come? If you come in with a seven-run lead and give up four runs, I mean, you can't have that. Right. Scott Scott Emerson so, always says when he looks at bullpen guys, he looks at the number of good outings versus bad outings, and that kind of a lim- You know, when that you look at a guy like Sorry, you go like, oh, okay, he's actually mostly pitched pretty well this year. But you're right; yeah. it's sort of an all-or-nothing thing with him. You know, he is. Yeah pretty good or he is really bad uh and you know that that makes it tough <laughs> when do you bring that guy into the game um but the right. you know obviously melvin has that problem with a lot of guys when do you bring trinan into a game when do you bring trevino in a game when you've got four or five guys like that in the bullpen it really really leaves you hamstrung you can't have petit and Hendricks pitch every inning out of the bullpen you just can't you can't and i i'd really wish they had sent trevino down two weeks ago yeah and just put him on a, a pitching, almost like a rehab schedule down in the minors. So he's pitching and just get and see if he can get it back. Yeah. Um, it'd be so important to get, you know, 2018 Lou Trevino back in this, in this bullpen. Right now you can't even put him in a game. Right. You just can't. It's just, and so it's, again, it's another dead spot in the bullpen. I don't think they handled Trevino very well in the last month and a half. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, they still could do that. Um, but you yeah, need to start to run out. Two in, Sa- right. in uh, almost said Sacramento. That's two triple A's ago. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they now? Las Vegas, some hot place. Um, yeah, it's uh, the whole pitching is going to be interesting. But you, as as you've mentioned, bullpens are not faring well everywhere. I mean, some of that is the the we'll go back to right where we started. Some of that is just the balls are flying out of parks everywhere. But yeah, bullpens. It, bullpens are always hard to project. They're hard to put together. Everyone struggles with it. But this year in particular, everywhere. Yeah, and I think this is because go back to like 2014, 2015, you start to see these these bullpens, these three headed monsters. The Royals come to mind right, when they were bringing out uh, Holland and Wade Davis, and um, the other guy who doesn't like the A's very much. <laughs> His name at the moment. Um, so they were shortening the game, and you were seeing these three headed monsters coming out, and these other teams kind of copied that, right? And they started doing it. And now you're seeing these bullpens across baseball who are just getting hammered because it used to be you brought out a guy throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. That was, no one saw that. Well, hitters see that every day now. Yeah. That's nothing new. They've adjusted. Um, and if you look at bullpens over the last 10 years, this year they're being hit for a higher average. They're being hit for much more home runs. They're still striking out a lot, but when they put the ball in play, they're scoring runs. They're hitting for a higher slugging percentage. Uh, and this, again, is across the board. There's only five bullpens now in the majors with an ERA under four. Um, and everyone thought that this is the way we were going, right? We're just always going to be bullpen games. It's coming back now where you need starting pitchers to go deep in the game. It's kind of it's course correcting, which we thought this would, this would happen eventually, and you're starting to see it. So the starter is going to get more value again if you have a consistent starter and get you deep in the game. It's just hitters are used to seeing these flamethrowers and it's not that much of an adjustment for them anymore. Yeah, and it's, bats are all speeded up. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So the A's, so A's fans, uh, rest assured, your bullpen is not the only one with trouble. So I guess I, if you can take consolation in something, that's it. Uh, and Hendricks has been very good. Hendricks <laughs> so. is it, and that's that's the one scary thing about Cleveland right now is Cleveland bullpen has since the All Star break has been lights out. Um, even with Brad Hand having a few hiccups here and there, overall their middle relief is doing the job to get the ball to him. Um, 
And we've talked about Cleveland's schedule, and they're in this New York week now, but they explode yesterday in the first inning for seven runs. Uh, they are a very dangerous team watching as you watch them go. They're going to get Kluber back, uh, get another starter who's going to give them innings. Um, that's a scary team, and a lot of that scariness comes from the fact that their bullpen has been the best bullpen in baseball. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. We saw last year that the bullpen is why the Oakland A's won 97 games last year. Hands down, that's why. Hands down. David Feldman. We, we must end it here, but we will have you back on again probably in the next week or two uh, to catch Sweet. up more more with A's land. Thanks for joining us on A's Plus, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Our thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus. David is an official score and stats expert who appears regularly on the podcast. Our producer today is G. Allen Johnson. We will be back next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.